We have an incredible Savior, do we not? Uh, this morning, things are a tad different. Um, first off, I'm Dwayne Carson, one of the pastors here, head of school of Salem Baptist Christian School. For you that are watching online, we welcome you. Our pastor, Pastor Kivett Hicks, is not with us today. He is in Cincinnati. He will be, be bringing words to you later in the service as he'll explain why he is there with one of our missionaries. And some of today's service will then uh, be, will build off of what he will tell us. But this morning, if you have your Bibles, we are in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount means you're going to Matthew chapter 5, 6, or 7. And today we ask you to go to Matthew chapter 7 as we continue with the series after taking a couple weeks off with uh, Easter. Matthew chapter 7, in the providence of God... This was the message that Pastor Kivett would be bringing today. And I think this will make more sense as we move toward the end of today's message. But Matthew chapter 7, we'll begin at verse 7 in just a moment. There was a little boy who was wanting to build a fort out in his backyard. And as he was out gathering some sticks and some maybe a little bit larger uh, wood, logs, some rocks, he found himself coming upon a pretty good-sized stone. He tried to move that rock. He wanted to lift it. He wanted to roll it. His father looked out of his window and he saw this little boy of his straining, seeing him become a little irritated as he was trying to pick up such a large rock to get it to his new fort that he was building. I'm going to have three slides come up one at a time to kind of draw you into what we're speaking of this morning. First off, there's a slide of a little boy. He's getting his rock to build this fort. But then there's another slide of a rock that looks quite larger. And then the picture of a little boy. Hmm. How in the world am I going to get that rock up? The day it looks out, sees that sun. He opens the window. Son, are you doing everything you can to move that rock? And the son replies back, yes, daddy, I am. I'm using all of my strength. And he tries again to lift the rock. Son, are you doing everything in your power to move the rock? And the son, now trying to roll it. Yes, daddy, I am doing everything I can. And then the father says one more time, son, are you doing everything you can to move the rock? And now that son, with a little bit of disgust, will look back at his dad, shaking his head. 
Yes, I am. And then the father replies gently, son, no, you're not. You have not asked me to help you. I've used this sermon illustration many times to conclude a message. When I teach on prayer, when we think about all the privileges we have to pray, yet we don't pray, I've concluded my messages with this illustration. But today I open with this illustration because as we teach today on prayer, I find myself wanting to interview this little boy, this son. I, I want to ask him, uh, son, uh, why did you not ask your father for help? Was there a thought as you were moving that rock, trying to, trying to move it, trying to lift it? I know my dad, he's in the house, I could go ask him, but I don't think he's able I don't think my dad is capable. I mean, my dad, if I can't move it, he can't move it. I wonder if that would be his answer. I would also wonder if he would say, why, son, did you not ask your dad? He would just shoot right back and say, well, every time I've asked my dad for something, he said no. He just always says no, so I was pretty sure as I'm trying to move this rock, if I went and asked him, he's just going to say no. And so, because he's an unwilling, helpful father, I just was convinced there's no need to ask. And this morning, I would like to interview this son and find out why he did not go to his father. Why he did not go immediately. Why he, he did not go when his father even asked him, are you doing everything? Why he did not ask it had to be told, reminded, if you'll ask me, you can get the help. But as I interview him, I interview you this morning. Why are you hesitant to ask God for the things you need? Why are you hesitant? Bring that up on the screen, please. What brings the hesitation to ask? We all have incredible needs. We all have things we're facing. Why are you hesitant to ask God? I wonder this morning if there would be a hesitation because some of you, like the little boy, may have thought, my dad's not able to pick this up. My dad's not able. Do you have a thought this morning that with your physical challenges, with your financial challenges, with relationship challenges, with vocational challenges, whatever the challenge may be, you know what? I think I've got a problem that's too big for God. Now, as I look at seasoned Christians, many of you would say, no, no, I know God is able. 
But there are some of you in here this morning that I'll take just a moment with this message to say, part of learning to pray is learning who you're praying to and learning that God is able. Because some of us don't pray because we've been sown a seed of doubt by Satan. God's not able to handle that. You know God, he, he, he's not that smart. He's not that strong. He's not that capable. You don't, don't, don't go to God with it. Matter of fact, you get made fun of for even talking to God. Because you are so much smarter than he is. What I have done in teaching people how to pray is I will tell them to take a three-by-five card, and they'll write on it, God is able, God is able, God is able. You, you need it enforced sometimes, so you write it three times. God is able. And then on the back of it, I'll have them write out a characteristic of God that speaks of how wise God is or how strong God is or how mighty God is so that when you're facing something, you can know God is able. There's probably another reason, though, that probably more predominant on why you're not asking God for the things you need to be asking him for. And it's not because you don't believe he's not able. It's because you're wondering in the back of your mind if the God of the universe is really interested in your problems, your circumstances, the things that you're facing. How could the God of the universe be interested in you? Leading to this question, what brings about the hesitation? There is a belief that God is not willing. Do you sometimes think God's just not willing to help you? A lie from the devil? God's just not willing. He's, look, don't you know God's got a whole lot more important things to take care of than you? He's just not willing. Jesus is going to help us this morning. And he's going to help us to understand some things about prayer. And I want to say to you without any question this morning, I, I've come to one of those firm convictions in my life. How you think about God determines how you pray. How you think about God determines how you pray. And so this morning, I'm going to speak just for a moment. God is able, but more so, God is willing I want that impressed on your heart. More than God is able, God is willing. And with that said, let's go to Matthew chapter 7 and look at verse 7, where Jesus, as he is teaching, almost in, in, a, in the midst of the sermon, kind of just goes back to Matthew 6, where he's taught about prayer. He, he teaches us in Matthew 6 how not to pray. Then he teaches us how to pray. But now he's going to remind us that we need to be praying, and it's okay to pray. 
And he says these words, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Oh, my word. Look at those words on the screen in your Bible. That almost sounds too good to be true. Whew. You mean, you mean me? I get to ask, seek, knock, and God is going to answer? Jesus, as he's teaching this, must have thought, whoever's listening is going, uh-uh, that's, 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 that's too good. That's too good. I, uh, God really thinks that way? He really thinks that way? So Jesus now wants to give a defense for what he just said. Notice what he does, verse, nine, verse 8, verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, gives him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Look at his, uh, his argument here that you can be asking because the God of heaven does want to be your provider. He does want to be your protector. He does want to be the one that gives you guidance. He does want to answer your prayers. He says, think about a father. Son comes to him. Daddy, I'm hungry. Well, son, go eat some rocks. Now, what, what dad's doing that? Daddy, can I have a bologna sandwich? No. Go get some of that gravel out in the yard. What? Dad, can I have some fish? No, here's a serpent, which means instead of something that tastes good, you get something that tastes horrible. Who does that? That's what Jesus is trying to say. Who does that? See his argument here. He wants us to ask. And here's a father. When he's asked to give something good, is he going to do it? So now Jesus goes a step further, verse, verse 11. If you then who are evil, sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, Bring that next slide up if you don't mind. He's making his argument. Now think about this. Here's a father who's not going to be mean and cruel to his son, even though he is selfish, even though he's self-centered. I'm human as a father. I think about myself. But a father is not going to be mean and cruel to his children. I thought about some of the gifts I even Text my children yesterday and said, what are some of the gifts I gave you? Not what they asked for. For instance, Christy, we went to see a movie way back called Free Willy. And uh, I just knew that she would want a stuffed Free Willy. And so the last present she got one year for Christmas, I waited to the very end. And I gave it to her. She loved that free willy so much, took such good care of it. Watch this, 26 years later, she's giving it to her son, my grandson, Logan. She loved that. I gave her a good gift. I gave Katie a, a key necklace. She wears it all the time. Precious gift. 
I gave Kirk a, a, a chess board, small chess board box to teach him how to play chess. And he said, Dad, one of the best gifts you ever gave me. Clayton, I was in the Smoky Mountains and I, I saw this um, stuffed grizzly bear. And Clayton likes to tackle stuff. I said, this is a good gift for him. Now, they didn't even ask, and I gave them good gifts. And Jesus comes along and says, how much more, look, will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask? You bring that slide up, please. Look at those words, will your Father. Your Father in heaven is far more interested in giving you good things than an earthly father could ever think about giving to his children. But I don't know, is God really willing to answer my prayers? Three words. Three words. Look at how much more. You see them? Look at them in your Bible. Highlight them. Three words, folks. How much more? Three words. How much more? Comparison to a father on earth who is sinful. We have a father in heaven who is pure. His motives are pure. How much more is he going to give to you when you ask what you need? He's going to gladly, willingly, joyfully give it to you. If you lack wisdom, James says, ask, and he will not make fun of you, but he will give you wisdom. In the Lord's Prayer, he says for you to ask that you will have direction, and he will give you direction. He asks that you pray for protection. He will give you protection. He says, ask for your daily bread. He will give you your provision. Your heavenly Father is not just able he is willing. God is willing. How do you think about God when you pray? He is able and he is willing. As you have your Bibles still open to Matthew 7, um, as Pastor Dwayne mentioned, I'm Pastor Rick. Uh, I'm the discipleship pastor, also pastor of youth here at Salem. If we don't know one another, I'd love to get to know you after the service. As we get started with this part of the text, will you, will you join me in prayer? Our loving Father, our good, compassionate, gracious Father, our Father who loves us with a love that we can't even fathom. We come before you and ask now that you would help us to understand your word. God, give us wisdom. Give us clarity. Father, give us the courage to go out now and do what it commands us to do. Father, I pray for uh, my friends here. If I say anything in this time that is not according to your word, may it be forever forgotten in the minds of all of us. But Father, may your word be remembered. May what it teaches about you always be in our minds so that when we leave here, we're more like your son, Jesus. I pray that the spirit of God would now take the word of God 
to make the children of God more like the Son of God. And I pray this in your great name. Amen. We've kind of done something a little different in our message today, um, something that I like to call at our house. We do something called a flip dinner sometimes, um, where we'll start with a little bit of dessert, then we'll get the main meal, and then we'll finish with the rest of dessert. I, we did it that way because if we did dessert first and did all of it, no one ate the broccoli. We understood that going in. Um, so we're kind of like a little, little bit of a flip dinner um, because what's happening in this passage with, with Jesus, the way he's teaching his disciples and those listening, is that he is starting with uh, the commands. What I'm going to talk to you right now in verses 7 through 8 are the commands he gives. But then at the end, in verses 9 through 11, that Pastor Dwayne just shared, he gives the whys. Why should we do that? All right? So almost like Jesus is talking to some kids. Parents in the room, if you've ever told or asked your kids to do something, they share that three-letter word that you love so much. Why? And what do you say? Because I said so right? I made a commitment when we had children that was never going to use that phrase. It lasted when the kids could speak. When they, when they began to articulate words, then I changed it. Actually, I didn't. I, I, I was too stubborn to go back on my promise. I think one time when the kids said something, I said, why? And I said, because it left daddy's mouth. I didn't say it. I didn't say it because I said so. So I still kept that promise. Um, but Jesus, almost like he knows that that's going to be something that the people are going to ask. Why? But then at 9 through 11, he tells them why, just like Pastor Dwayne just shared with us. Because of the fatherly care of God and his loving disposition towards we, his children. Let that, let's, let's hang on that for a minute. We are his children and his loving disposition toward his children. Because of that, he gives us three commands in this passage. Now, the passage is on the screen. It says here, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it'll be open. There are three commands in here. There are three imperatives in this passage. It's ask, seek, and knock. And many of you already, already know this, that these commands in the, in the Greek language in which it's written here for us in the New Testament, they are a present tense verb, which indicates a continuing action. Some translations actually even add that in it, where it says, keep asking. Keep seeking, keep knocking. And I, want to, I, don't, I don't want to gloss over that today. I want really that to be our focus right now. The keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You see, here's the thing. This is repetitive activity that Jesus is telling the people listening that that's how you pray. Keep doing it, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep searching. Let me ask you, why in prayer do we stop asking? It could be because we haven't seen an answer. It could be because we are starting to doubt if God is either able or willing. So we just kind of leave it out there and stop. But Jesus is telling us, keep doing it. No matter what you may feel is the answer or not. You see, all of this is reminiscent of things we see in the New Testament all, all through it. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us to 
pray without ceasing. It's in the text, and it's on the, that slide, on the next slide there. Pray without ceasing. Or in Ephesians 6.18, where Paul again encourages the church there to pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Notice in that passage, Paul saying to pray with all perseverance. What does it mean to persevere? To keep going. To keep going. I'm reminded one time that I was going to run a 5K, and I remember running in it, and I was, had already been running but the first 5K I ran, I trained a lot for, so the, that was a whole lot easier. But I, I thought to myself, oh, I've already done a 5K. What's another 5K? And those of you who are looking at me smiling, you know what's happening. I get out there. I run. I start off pretty well. And then I remember passing this lady, and she was the, she was the oldest lady in the race. I kind of felt bad passing her. I kind of felt like I should stay with her, if you know what I mean, right? But I passed her. And she had a weird breathing as she was breathing. As she was breathing, she was doing this, he, who, it was just really weird. So I was like, this is kind of messing with my rhythm, so I need to get away from her. But I remember about two-thirds of the way through, my body started saying, nope, nope, you have not trained, you now must lay down somewhere. But I'm in the middle of downtown Winston, and there's no place, I mean, there's places to lay down, but it's visible, all right? And I remember slowing down a bit, struggling a bit, and then I heard, he who, she's coming up on me. <laughs> and I said to myself, Clonard, you are not going to be beaten by a 125-year-old woman in this 5K. <laughs> You're not. And we turned a corner. And when I turned the corner, there was my wife and our three kids, and they're like, yay, daddy. And that was, I was like, keep going. All right, so I ran. I was sprinting, yeah, looking happy, looking happy. Crossed that finish line, kept running, found a corner, and just had a moment to myself. <laughs> All right? I, I persevered because I wanted to finish. I wanted to keep going. Even though everything said, go lay down. Go there's some woods right, there's a bush, lay there. But I want to persevere. And it's that idea here. He says, look, don't quit in your prayer life when it gets tough, when nobody's listening, when you don't think anybody's caring. Keep going. But it's not just in the New Testament where we see the idea of persistent prayer. On the screen, you're going to see a passage from Isaiah chapter 62, verses 6 through 7. And in this passage, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. These are God's words through Isaiah. And God is telling the people of Israel that I'm going to restore the kingdom. I'm going to bring it to you. And we know that's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But he says, I'm going to do it. But look at how he says it. He says, on your walls, Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. Look at this. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Do, do you see what God is doing in that passage? Do you see what God is asking Israel to do in that passage? 
He's literally asking his people to bother him and to give him no rest until he answers them. Parents, how many times has your child asked for something over and over again? Maybe you've said yes, or maybe you've done that, we'll see, which is torture for every child, right? Right, kids? Just tell me yes or no, mom. Just tell. But they've asked, and you, you responded with this one. All right, you ask again, it's going to be a no. Anybody? Okay, you'll confess later. But look what's happening here. God is literally asking his people to bother him, to give him no rest. And all these passages and so many more like him all through the, all, like him all through the Bible present one clear truth about how God views the prayers of his people. And it's going to be on the screen. God delights in what we may see as bothering him. God delights in what we may see as bothering him. You see, the God who spoke all things into existence, I mean, think about this for a minute. Just let your mind imagine this. The God who spoke all things into existence and holds them together by the word of his power delights in being bothered by our prayers. And I'm going to use the word bothered. We think we're bothering him. He doesn't. He doesn't. He delights in that. No matter how small we may see it, no matter how huge, no matter how frequent, no matter what, God, as our good and perfect heavenly Father, welcomes the prayers of his people. He welcomes them. I've always enjoyed a song that's, that's it's an older song. Um, it's not as old as Free Willy. I thought to myself, Did that, was that in theaters? Moving on. Um, I've always enjoyed this song, um, My Prayer. I don't know if you've heard it. Because it encapsulates all that we see from Jesus on the idea of prayer. And I want to put it on the screen. And it starts from the premise that, that a lot of us do when it comes to prayer. I'm guilty of it. Maybe you are too. The poet feels at a loss for words. He's wondering how he could formulate his thoughts into some kind of meaningful prayer, anything that could somehow reach the heart of the Almighty. And he writes this. This is the first stanza. Fresh page, new pen. Where do I begin? Words fail. Tears come. I need someone to take the thoughts I almost think and carry them to God for me. Deep breath, exhale. Breathe in deeper still. Long sigh, I'm still numb. Is there anyone who can find the things I'm barely feeling and give them wings beyond my ceiling? Right heart, wrong place. It's too far to outer space. You ever been there? The poet staggered by the enormity of speaking to the God who is over all, gives up and puts his pen down. You ever been there? You ever had that moment? Maybe in the morning, maybe you spend time with the Lord, maybe in the evening. Maybe it's when a prayer, you don't even know how to pray it. You ever been there? Lord, I don't even know how to pray this. I don't even know what to say. I don't have words. But then this poet remembers an important characteristic about our sovereign God who's over all things. He remembers him as a good father, 
I love this. He continues, sorry, I forgot you're right here. I cup my hands around your ear. I feel you smile. You feel my breath and you listen while I whisper nonsense. Simple exchange. Your will, I'm changed, and now my prayer ends. Thank you. Amen. Beloved, this is the posture of prayer. It's not big words. It's not fancy things. It's literally we, as beloved children of our good and loving Heavenly Father, cupping our hands around the ear of God and knowing how confidently and knowing that confidently He never tires, He's never bothered in hearing our prayers. Quite the reverse. He actually delights in them. He loves it. My challenge is to let the beautiful truth of how God sees your prayers to Him, let that fuel your mind as we continue in worship.